What's up, guys? Thank you for joining us on the Weekly Sit-Down Podcast. This is the kind of show you throw on if you just want some company or to feel like you're hanging out with someone. We mostly feature successful entrepreneurs, but in the end, everyone has a story to tell, and we can all learn from others' experiences, no matter who they are. Okay, let me know. Uh, do you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, we got you. No echo? No, that no, sounds perfect. perfect now. Okay. So so how long have you guys been doing these uh, these podcasts? Well, I started it. This, this is Joe. Um, I started this in April. And uh, Mark came on, what, like a couple of months ago? Yeah, probably like four months ago, three, four months ago. Yeah, he came on and then... Uh, I don't know. You switched jobs, so like he was going through some stuff. So he he left for a little, and now he's back. Uh-huh. But I, I've been holding it down. So <laughs> so uh, what? So what was your motivation <clears throat> for uh, like what got you started on doing this particular theme that you guys are doing? Well, for me, I've always loved just getting to know people and seeing hearing their stories, where they came from, and stuff. Uh-huh. So I feel like this was like a natural transition for me. It's like a easy way to get people to open up and you know like there's really never a time where we don't like look at our phones for like 2 or 3 hours at some of the interviews or 3 hours and right and you'll just lose track of time. You go into a time warp and and you it's it's something really rare to me. So I I really like appreciate it. And uh I don't know, I love it. I love getting to know people and I don't know. You know Gary V. You heard of him? Uh, no. Maybe I have. Yeah, maybe. He? He's a guy. He's, <laughs> he's all over the internet. Um, he's a he's a social media influencer. But all right. And but he encourages people like to get on podcasts to to right. record themselves to get out there more because this is where the future's going. So right. And right. Obvi- obviously, I think a lot of people's goal is to be financially free and be able to go anywhere in the world and. Still be yep. able to make money. Yeah. So, because uh, I so I have three kids and they're they're adults and uh, they're doing exactly trying to do the same thing you're doing. I mean, they have a they have a business they're running, but it's really a a, a platform for connecting through social media and digitally and you know the whole thing. So uh, they sound a lot like you guys. I mean, they're my oldest son's thirty two, then my daughter's thirty, and then younger son's twenty six or 27 and mm-hmm. yeah they want to be able to work like you're working and go around be traveling around the world i mean they they do travel a lot anyway mm-hmm. their business their business is connected with nepal so they do get over there quite a bit and um that's awesome yeah yeah do yeah they're doing a podcast well they're not doing podcasts yet but they're keeping me educated so they their their site is I mean their company's East West E S T W S T Collective, and it's just that they're a, you know your generation this whole digital age is something that's just transformed culture really it's a, it's a it's a whole cultural change, and uh, so it's that kind of divide between you know who's who's um, exploiting in a good way in a good way or also bad way you know sort of the digital the digital uh platforms and who's just not getting it so (laughs) 
That's that's it. and it's also wondering what like who are are you guys? How many listeners do you have? What's what's what are your what are your statistics like? Every episode will so we're on SoundCloud. We're on anywhere you can listen to a podcast. Uh-huh. So SoundCloud, we don't we're not really too big on there, but iTunes is the one that I really try and push. So right. so we'll get like three hundred listeners an episode at this point. Good. But um yeah, we're growing. It's it's a slow process, but so we've managed to get on a lot of people like yourself, like really established and people we really looked up we look up to. So that's the most exciting part for me. Like, I feel like as long as I just keep staying consistent, I'll be where I want to be eventually. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anyone. Yeah. And this is the like I said, like you guys say, you know, this is the sort of new avenue of connecting with people. So, you know, those of us who have content and our job is to connect, you know, we're idiots if we're not accessing through bot podcasts and webinars and you know all the different media that we can use so mm-hmm. and for us it's so important to just talk about things we're very passionate about you know yeah. especially with people that are experts in the field or can give mm-hmm. us any kind of insight so for us it's just us learning about new things you know learning more about the things that we really care about and basically sharing it with others that's perfect yeah um, yeah mm-hmm. so fantastic are so you are you getting used to um, social media and stuff? Are your kids helping you out with that, or are you in that? Well, world? it's it's <laughs> it's a great question. Um, so I'm very fascinated by it. So I I don't have a fear of it. I don't have reluctance. I don't have you know. I just want to. I look for ways that I can be uh, connected with people. And like I said, you know, I've been studying it for the last four or five years and trying to. Make my way in. I'll tell you what it is, uh, you guys. What it comes down to is time. And, you know, like I'm, you know, so it's a question of, you know, do I put my energy into writing and seeing people and consulting and and teaching and that sort of thing? And then if for me, because it's not, it's I didn't grow up with it, I have to do a lot of work to figure out how to set up a program of podcasts or set up a program of you know, say meditations or classes that I want to I want to present online because that's kind of the stuff I want to do. So I have an idea of what I want to do, but when I research it, it comes down to time, honestly. And the other part of the time part is how do you get people to know about you? And that's why I was asking, you know, how do you get known? You know that. So I wish my kids would do it. I want to hire them, but you know, <laughs> they're really. I don't know. You know, they they'd be good at doing, and and I'm still looking for. That's I would say for someone like me, honestly, if you're ever looking for another niche, and I've told a lot of young people this, I said, you know, you can create a business just managing people like me who have content. You know, I can I can deliver the content, but uh, you know, the technology around the content is the whole is a whole different story, right? Oh, yeah. The, so many yeah. people are building businesses, like you just said. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it, too. I mean, yeah. Uh, different you know, generations helping themselves. Yeah. Well, I did con- – someone. Con- you know, I've been looking for someone for years, and these. so I, I did get a hold of someone. And it's like, you know, they gave me a $20,000 
budget. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and they were just the funny thing is they were just starting us, and they they thought, oh, we got a hot one here, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And it was really sad because they didn't get it, and uh, so I didn't. Anyway, no, so that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, what yeah. is, what is the twenty k? What do you get for that? Well, you see, what it was a classic used car situation. So you go in, you go in looking for. You know, a 98 Chrysler or something or other, you know? <laughs> and the guy goes, yeah, and he drives you around, and then he's next thing he's showing you the, you know, the 2018 Lexuses. And, and, you know, it's not like kind of getting it. So what they did is I was really just looking for – at that point, I think was just wanting to um, – I think I'm pretty much just doing uh, – oh, social media. I just wanted to, someone to – you know, help me with my social media, get me Facebook, Twitter, all those things aligned and, you know, do some posts once a week or something. And so that's all I was asking. And they came back with, well, you need to redo your website and then you need to uh, do a blog and you need to do an email, uh, you know, newsletter and we'll do that all for you. And this is, this is the, this is the, <laughs> this is the bid, you know, the and, um, the and so they, this whole thing, and of course, everything they said was okay. But I wasn't looking to redo my website right then. I wasn't looking to do webinars right then. I just wanted to get, you know, find out how they were and uh, see how good they were and if they could, you know, get me on just the social media stuff. Right, and this is about three or four years ago, so it was it was a little bit new, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, to me it was a fifteen hundred dollar request, and they came with twenty thousand. So. <laughs> and the funny thing is, we have nothing to really like compare that to, you know. It's not right. like this business has been around for so long. So, like, it's not like you can go check up the street and, you know, really compare prices with one to the other. I mean, you can try right. another person, but realistically, how much is it actually worth? Mm-hmm. How much is it actually worth? I think that yeah. what's, what, what you're looking for, someone like me, me, which I'm looking for is I would look for having a dialogue with the person. So rather than being seen as some sort of mark, you know, like how can we make money off this guy or whatever? You know, so you really, since it's a new, it's a partner, excuse me. It's a partner. It's a partner. So to have a partner and you're creating something new, it demands a dialogue, right? It doesn't mean, you know, you just know what, what it is you're co-creating with someone. So if you're co-creating, I, you really need to have a good rapport, you know, not, not feel like you know everything, but more like you want to discover something new together. That's how I think these successful businesses work, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think they were just too insecure about that. They had to feel like they were experts. And yeah, uh, I think it's always good to never to have an expertise, but never feel you're an expert. Yeah. Don't, don't act to have a little humility. Um, I don't know if you're still looking for someone, but we work with a publicist and I don't know. She does all that stuff. I don't know. She works here in Manhattan. If you need someone, I'm sure it's going to be a lot cheaper than 20 grand. (laughs) Yeah, you can. Yeah. Shoot me her. uh, Yeah. Send me her uh, her details. And, uh, you know, it's 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 really a it's a relationship. Right. So a lot of it has to do with the person's personality. Right. And um, and how. uh, well, personable and you get along and the relationship and, and not being afraid to start small and those kinds of things. So yeah, mm-hmm. send me her, uh, send me her, um, info. Her yeah. yeah. I'll get it to you after this. Um, yeah, well, can we, I guess we could just kind of go into it because I, after, after this whole thing, then we'll put the intro in. So we're, we could just go into it. 
Sure. Um, you want to kind of give uh, the audience a little intro, who you are and what you're, what you're all about? I know you wrote <laughs> The Misleading Mind. Right. So, okay, so let's see. Yeah, uh, usually I, uh, my intro, how long do you want my intro to be, actually? Uh, it, could be the, it could be the whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll chime in. Okay. So I usually talk about my my bio in terms of having started in uh, uh, really around when I was 18. You know, I was part of the whole, uh, you know, the hippie generation and looking for a guru. And I grew up outside Los Angeles and uh, got very involved with yoga in those days because there really wasn't any Buddhist th- thought. You know, there's just uh, – the Beatles were going to India and, you know, Satchitananda opened up Woodstock and that sort of thing. So I was very fascinated, even though I was doing lots of drugs, I was all in that culture. I was very fascinated with Eastern spirituality and I wanted to know about meditation. And so the only thing I could find was some yoga, yoga classes and started doing yoga and teaching yoga. And this is all when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, slowly I became, you know, quite interested. That's where I got the name Karuna. It was way back in those days. And, um, uh, oh, that's not your real name. That's not my real name. Well, it depends what real is. Oh, right? uh, <laughs> I love, I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna love this interview. <laughs> we, we always talk the same way. Like, what is real? What is time? time? Oh, you get me going. Well, we'll get, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. I love it. That's my favorite topic. Okay. Yes. So, so wait, I don't know how long. So anyway, I, uh, I had made a commit. I took a year off from high school. I'd lost all my friends because I started, I quit doing drugs. I quit eating meat. I quit smoking cigarettes. I quit all this stuff. And then I had no friends left because that's all that people were doing. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. I thought they were friends. And then, you know, so I wanted to take I took a year off before going to college and then I want to take another year. And my mother says, "Uh uh-uh, you know, you promised you'd go to college. So I did. And she was really cool. She found me an alternative. Now there's lots of them, but in those days there were only two was UC Santa Cruz and Evergreen state college up in Olympia, Washington. And I ended up at Evergreen and my third year there, uh, I was majoring in Eastern studies. And my third year there, there was a, a year in Nepal program. And uh, I thought, where's Nepal? And I looked, and it's like right next to India. And I thought, I'll go there. I can sneak across the border, find my guru, and you know the whole thing. So I entered that program and went to Nepal, and quickly got involved. I was originally doing a study in Hinduism, and I immediately shifted to Buddhism because of my connection. You know, it's it's uh, anyway, it was more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in a monastery not far from where I was living in a village called Kopan Monastery. And I uh, met my teachers there. Uh, my root teacher is Lama Tutanyeshi and his protege, Lama Zopra Rinpoche, who were one of the few English-speaking Tibetan lamas in those days. There are very few places you could study if you were interested in studying Tibetan Buddhism. That was one of them. And the other one was in Dharamsala, North, in Dharamsala India, where the uh, Tibetan government in his exile where uh, his homeless Dalai Lama lives. So uh, so I stayed. I was going to be there a year. I stayed a year and a half. I started teaching English to the young monks, which was quite revolutionary because no monastery was teaching monks English. It wasn't part of their, you know, their normal curriculum, which they have a very, very strict, robust curriculum. It takes about 21 years. Wow. Um, and before I left 
them from that year and a half program, my uh, Lamieshi, I had I had breakfast with them. I was really nervous. He's a very powerful man. He died in 1984. Extremely powerful figure. Very much of a Renaissance revolutionary kind of Lama. He knew what was happening at the modern world was, you know, creeping into these traditional cultures. And uh, he said, well, I said to him, I was having breakfast. I love Nepal. Nepal knows. This is 1975 um, that I went there. Yeah, 1977, I was, I had to come back here to finish my degree. And I asked, I had breakfast. I was so nervous. You know, I was like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and so finally I got the guts to ask him, uh, so Lama, what, what should I do next? And he gave me this really kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of this disgusted look, you know, kind of waved <laughs> me off and said, ah, I never tell my students what to do. Yeah. So there I was, the complete idiot, you know, mm -hmm. and then we continue with breakfast and I couldn't, you know, it was that awkward silence. And then about three or four minutes later, he said, so when you return here next year, he's <laughs> 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 like, so that was it. So I, he said, you wanted me to teach his monks English. And so I came back to the States for a year and a half to figure out how to go back to Nepal on a non-tourist visa, which were very tough to get. I had had one for a year and a half and I went back. Uh, as a stu as a master, I found a master's degree program from Antioch that would mm -hmm. allow me to um, be an independent master's program. I stayed another ten or eleven years, and so uh, when I returned to the states, I got involved in uh, you know it's like how do you take all that experience and make it relevant here? And as you'll find out, and and as you may know from the book, uh, people don't know that Buddhism offers extremely vast and deep psychology, theory of psychology, much mm -hmm. vaster and deeper than anything we have here. Yeah. And so I've been studying that for you know, the previous 10, 10, 12 years. And when I came back here, uh, my Lama Yeshi had passed away, but Lama Zopa Rinpoche suggested to me, hey, why don't you get a degree in psychology? So I got a master's in clinical Clinical psych. I did my internship at Stanford the Children's Health Council, which was the last place in the world I wanted to go. It's extremely medical model, uh, but it was good for me, really, really good. Yeah. And I stayed there, and then um, you know, so that's pretty. Much, I was there for a few years, and then I developed a private practice and worked a few other clinics and things like that. And that's that's sort of the biography. And I have three kids and an Australian wife. <laughs> Australian, you said. Yeah, she's, we met in Nepal and got married in Nepal. And when it was time to leave, she said, let's go to America. I said, okay, you know, I can, I can do that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. So you're, yeah. you're still a clinical psychologist? You're still, uh, have, you have um, patients? Yes, I still see people. You know, I've wound down a little bit because I want to do more, like writing the book. I want to do more teaching, do more writing. And so I do still see clients. Um, you know, just to keep my my toes in the water, so to speak, and keep in touch. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also did some consulting during the heyday of the dot-com era. And, you know, I'm right on the edge of Silicon Valley here. I'm in Santa Cruz, California. So and, you, uh, yeah. So do you treat your patient like the patients that you do have, are they somewhat like-minded in the sense that, like, are you using... Um, Buddhism. Yeah, are you using Buddhism, like, to basically right. heal them or using some modern or some, you know, medicinal or what psychology you learned in as college, well. Yeah. yeah. 
Right, right. Great question. That's that's the that's actually the question in a way. Yeah. Um. So you know the the climate has changed. When I went to Stanford, so that was when I was interning, it was something like 1992, 93, and I was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. I was, you know, it wasn't it wasn't safe to. I don't know. Maybe it was just my paranoia, but it really wasn't kind of safe to say you're a Buddhist, you know, and yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, um, so I did a, have to really adapt and try and understand these Western modalities and working with attention deficit disorder. Oh, I work with everyone. I mean, you know, all kinds of issues and a lot about around, uh, um, uh, pathology, you know? Yeah. And so the pathology is the, the model and in Buddhist psychology, of course, it's somewhat different. And so I had to practice, but you know, you can't, you can't do that stuff if you, if you know something different. And the thing that you know that's different just is, it's just more, it's just more correct, if not for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, kind and of so, uh, so yeah, so I started. So I, to, to answer your question, I never ever uh, demanded that people be Buddhist, and I would almost never ever say I was Buddhist. For many many years, until recent, you know, last several years, it, it's okay. Um, and also, as a Buddhist, you know, the way that Lama Yeshe taught us was he was really adamant to understand that these principles are universal; they're not Tibetan. Mm-hmm. And we once asked the Solon Dalai Lama how he felt about, you know, if, if Tibetan Buddhism was transferable to the West, you know, and he said, "Well, leave the Tibetan with us." Mm. Meaning, and so mm-hmm. meaning that the Buddhist, if you if you look at the history of Buddhism, it, it started in India, it went to Sri Lanka, it went to, you know, Nepal and Tibet and China and Sri Lanka. Oh, sorry, I said um, uh, Thailand, Cambodia, Korea, Japan, China, uh, all the way to Sumatra, you know, into Indonesia. It went as far west as Afghanistan, as far as we know. So if you look at that, you think, wow, how did they do that? And you go there and all of those cultures are not, you know, the cultures didn't change. The Buddhism adapted, it morphed into the cultural values of those countries. That's why what you find in China is a little bit, you know, different emphasis than what you find in Japan. But the interesting thing is nothing in the teachings themselves, nothing was ever changed. They didn't need to be changed because if you have a set of ideas that are like it's like gravity, do you need do you need to make gravity Chinese? Do you need to make gravity mm-hmm. Indian? You know, yeah, gravity is it's a universal principle, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So that's the beauty. If you um, so with Buddhist thought, and this is another thing people you know they need. You know, I just feel it's important to educate them on. Buddha is not much of a religion in the classical sense. It's mainly a philosophy and a psychology. Uh, clearly, two thirds of the entire Buddhist teachings that Buddha himself taught are, psycholo- are teachings on psychology. Well, yeah. So, so that that's universal, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're if you're a Japanese mind or a Cambodian mind or you know a you're Burmese human. mind. You're human. human. Yep. Yeah. And so it's our job to find the humanness in that. The thing that's that's uh, uni- uniform for all of us, what you and I have in common, you know, when it comes down to the mind, it doesn't. The mind itself doesn't have a culture. 
Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It no. doesn't have a culture. It might be influenced by culture, but it, the mind itself is not a cultural phenomenon. And even though there is influence from different cultures, and so those influences are what then you uh, you use Buddhist teachings to uh, to respect those cultural um, qualities. But all that stuff's very relative and very temporary, you know. As we see, as we see today. You know, you look at Asian culture, how much it's morphed into this strange kind of modern culture, right? Yeah, it's transforming. It is. Yeah. It, I've read into Buddhism. I'm not saying I'm a, I know a lot, but I've read into it a little bit. And th- is it like monks believe like they don't try and make anyone Buddhist? They no. They feel like if you're not Buddhist this lifetime, you'll eventually become Buddhist. Like you'll eventually just become a monk in another lifetime. Here's the deal. Yeah. So to be Buddhist, also just to clarify, we don't have to be a monk and nun. You can be like me and you, and you know, late. I'm a lay person, and there are many. There's many um, examples of accomplished, very realized Buddhist practitioners who are lay people throughout history. So that's a, that's very important to understand. It's just if you the there and there is a strong monastic element, but it's not, uh, most Buddhists are not, are not monks or nuns actually. Mm. Yeah. So, um, we don't believe in proselytizing. You know, I often tell a story when I moved back to the States, uh, in 88 and then I was, uh, starting to, well, a couple of years there, starting my internship up in Palo Alto, which is about an hour drive from me. I had to get a new car, you know? And so, I mean, a newer car anyway, so I was driving from my house. I was driving to San Jose to look at a Mazda. Okay, in those days, you may not remember, you know, may not know this, but we actually had to look in the classified ads. <laughs> classified? What's that? Yeah, that's <laughs> why you can Google it. You mean Craigslist? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Craig wasn't wasn't even born yet. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even have a list. Yeah, he went down. So I'm driving over the hill. We say over the hill because there's a big hill between. Uh, Santa Cruz and San Jose. And I'm looking down at the newspaper trying to find the address. And if you notice it alphabetically, right, the, the letter L becomes right before M, right? H-I-J-K-L-M. And I, so my eye glanced upon this and it said Lexus. I had no idea what a Lexus was, but it said it was, it was really weird. It was a used one. And it was one of those teas. I didn't notice at the time. It was a teaser. You know how they try and get you into the lot? Like they put a really low price and you get there and the thing's already sold. Yeah, I've had that. Well, I I got there. So I thought, I'll take a look at that. I wonder what that is. It was a five-speed, this new thing called a Lexus. And um, I went, and it was right in my, it wasn't exorbitant. It wasn't like, you know, a new car. It was, it was relatively inexpensive. And, uh, you know, a lot of miles on this, you know, it was a dealer's car or something like that. And I go in there to take a look at this thing. And, I'm just looking at the car in the, in the, in the lot and then slowly uh, someone comes up to me, just says, you know, can I give you a hand, anything you need? I said, you know, just look at this car, you know, and he says, well, let's just go take a drive. He's not pushy. Nothing's going on. Just friendly. So I go for a drive. We get on the freeway and he said, you know, you know, get it in the fifth gear and see how this thing, look at, the, see how its pickup is. And then you're going around a turn. He says, okay, check out the, you know, how this drives and how this uh, corners. And it's a really awesome car, you know, for me. So we get back to the lot and he shakes my hand. He says, you know, I'll be in my office if you need anything. He walks in. I'm standing there going, wait a minute. 
where's the hard sell, right? You don't let a, let this guy, you know, mm. let him go. Yeah, where's the where's the twenty k estimate? Exactly. Where's the twenty k estimate? So eventually, I wandered in there. I said, "Hey, you know." Um, anyway, so I ended up buying the car, and I, at the end, I said, "I said, you know, what gives with you? You know, I mean, you didn't even try and sell this thing to me." And he looked at me and he said, "The car sells itself." Yeah, that's the best thing to say. Yeah. And that's how I feel, Buddhist. Buddhism is, you know, uh, that's my, I like that. That's my full circle. As, there I, you go. What ma- you said of it originally, you were really into Hinduism, then you switched to Buddhism. Can you kind of go over the differences and the reason that you switched? Yeah. So there was, um, so in my experience, I can only speak, talk about my experience within Hinduism. It's very devotional. And I, um, I had a lot of really, I mean, I love the whole path, the Hindu, the Hindu idea. Um, but it's very, very much based upon faith and very much based upon almost like the guru or the deity is going to bestow on you, you know, some sort of nirvana or enlightenment. And that, and the other thing was that the guru and you or the student see miles apart, like they're up in the sky and you're, you know, like I said, it's very devotional. And I had some experiences, you know, what do you want to call meditation or mystical, whatever you want to call them, you know, some, some trips. And what struck me was they're very profound, but I always came down. Mm. Just like, that's why I quit taking psychedelics. It's like, Mm, that was one of my questions too. If you messed with those, I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, it was just like that. It was exactly the same experience. And probably what what attracted me to Hinduism is, you know, I wasn't staying high on psychedelics anymore. So I need to find a new psychedelic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but it hit me very strongly that, from my experience, I would, I was just getting this extreme ecstasy and bliss, whatever you want to call it. But then I kind of, it wouldn't last. So that's really, I was discontent and. That's uh, it. Did, that's why it didn't work for me. And when I went my very first Buddhist teaching, I went. So this Kopan Monastery is, was is famous for doing a one month meditation course designed for Westerners, right there, you know, in Kathmandu Valley. And it was intense. You know, it's a full intense thing. You know, you're meditating several hours a day. You're getting teachings from the Lama for you know four or five hours a day. You're not leaving there. You're keeping silence. You're eating one meal a day for the second two weeks of it. You know, so it's it's intense. But the very first teaching I went to, I think it's the only first. So there's a llama up there teaching, and he said, "Don't." He's, he's quoting Buddha. Buddha saying, "Don't believe what I teach, just out of respect for me." He said, "You need to test." He said, test it like you would test gold in the marketplace. You know, I guess testing gold meant you rubbed it and you mm. spit on it and you put mercury Make on sure it. Make sure it's real. Sure it's real, Exactly, exactly. And then, then if that works, then uh, then you can pers- then pursue a little more. So I never heard anyone tell me that. I never heard anyone say that I could use my discrimination and my discernment and I could remain you know, pessimistic for, until I was convinced. So that was awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's like the guy, the salesman at the car. 
Exactly. Right. So the very, very first Lama I ever met, which was before I was Buddhist, actually, a friend of mine, one of my fellow students was living with a, a Rinpoche or Lama who was, who was married. He wasn't a monk. And my friend was, his project was studying uh, painting and he was learning Tibetan Tonka painting. And I went, so I had, I had, so I went to see this, this teach this teacher that he was living with. And I said to him, how do you find a guru? And he said to me, he said, well, it's like this. When you meet a, uh, when you meet a guru, you need to test him. You need to examine him. You test him and you test him and you test him. And if he fails, Nail him to the wall like a fly. <laughs> How do you know him? <laughs> yeah, you know, being, you know, you got to, you got to use your wisdom. You have to use your logic. You have to use your intelligence. And I think this is something that us modern people need to hear. Just because they're in robes or have a big name or you like their teacher doesn't mean that they're necessarily a qualified teacher. We have to okay. be very discriminating. There's a lot of false. You know, there's a lot of crap out there, to be honest mm. with you. It's, it comes with materialism. Yeah. So so growing up, you lived through like the Alan Watts era, right? Like you yeah. you were into him at all? No, I, I really was. Not till later. And, you know, I looked into him after. I was – my hero was in those days was pre-Buddhist was Baba Ramdas, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, be yeah, here now. Be here now. That was my Bible. I'd be coming down off acid and start reading it. I mean, I'm honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was my hero. And then as I got into Buddhism, uh, it really wasn't until I went to Nepal. So um, then it was, uh, you know, my teachers and really around that. There wasn't much, there wasn't a lot of published books in those days, right? Yeah. Um, of course, Alan Wallace was already published. He was sort of the pioneer. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read, I think. For whatever reason, I just didn't read him in those days. I read him a little later. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he was, he was. He's kind of, we always talk about, I always talk about it on the show, but he's kind of like my guru if I had to choose one or like my mentor. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, man. He he says kind of like everything that we go and search for, we already know. That's kind of something I really got from him. Like uh, people always ask like, how do I get enlightened and all this stuff? And they think when, right when you think that you've been enlightened, that's how you know you're not enlightened. That's right. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I think it's like if someone tells you they're enlightened, run the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. That's that. a, yeah. You're you're not going to go around boasting how you, you've reached enlightenment if you're really enlightened. <laughs> yeah. It's so difficult because I do stay in touch with what's in the, you know, what's going on. And it's like some teachers, you know, mostly Westerners, but, you know, talk about their enlightenment or their nirvana. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, I mean, I can't judge. Maybe they have, but that's not my experience of the teachers I've studied with. In fact, the higher they are, the more they say they don't know. Yeah. So, right. Exactly. Like freaking, um, Leonardo da Vinci on his deathbed, his last words were, I still have so much more to learn. And, th- and this Leonardo da Vinci, one of the greatest minds of all time. Yes. So if he's saying that, how can anyone yeah. else ever say anything different? In my opinion, I think I think we have to take heed. You know, and you look at our real role models, like the Dalai. His Holiness Dalai Lama is like first class. So if you look at what he, he's, I'm a simple monk. That's all he says. I'm a simple monk. 
Yeah. <laughs> monks, uh, from, according from what I've heard from Alan, like I haven't really looked up any real monks or anything online. I'm sure they're not even online if they're a real monk. <laughs> <laughs> could be. They could be. They could yeah. Be. But, but he says, uh, like they all say the same thing, very similar to what you just said. They, um, they, all, they answer everything with a question to make you it, think. It, it, yeah, that's exactly. If they're, if, they're, if they're authentic, they know, unlike, you know, that my perception of Hinduism was I had to get enlightenment from a teacher. In Buddhist thought, there's no, you know, you can benefit greatly from a uh, very realized, long, you want to have a very realized teacher, you know, at some level, at least more realized than, than you are. But uh, it's never taught that they bestow enlightenment. It's always that they bestow the the path, you know, the, the way to get there, but you got to do it yourself. You got to become your own therapist, you know, there's no yeah. other way. And people I feel that, that, what? Oh, sorry. Go. I was going to say people don't, such as Westerners don't like hearing that. We are used to getting things in pill form or instant, you know, on your smartphone. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, we're not very, uh, we're not very disciplined and we're not very, yeah, that's for sure. Tell me yeah. how to be enlightened, you know, and then it's like, <laughs> all right, tomorrow I'll be enlightened if I do this. Like they want it right away. Right. We're all the same. And it's it's a trap. Anyone, anyone who promises you that, forget it, honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I just recently got on this like path within the last three years, I would say, like trying to find something more. And I feel like people our age, millennials, we everyone's really looking for like what's my purpose you know and yes how, how do you what's your advice to people that our age that are like just looking for why they're here or that are curious that's great that's a great question i think uh, um the first thing i'd say is stay curious stay curious a uh, second thing is which you you already um alluded to is that without purpose life is not really that happy is it no. so then the third thing comes well what kind of purpose i mean certainly you know someone who's you know trying a con artist feels he has a purpose doesn't he mm -hmm. so then we have to look at purposes that are fulfilling versus purposes that are just uh seemingly fulfilling right mm -hmm. um so with in terms of creating meaning it takes time and if it's something that takes time it's more beneficial than something that's quick. Something that's quick is not going to last. Yeah. Um, in terms of also, if I look at, you know, to really study the people you feel have a meaningful life, you know, that you, you admire, you know, your, our heroes, our mentors, I would tell you that it always comes down to um, a kindness towards others. You know, there's always, I don't, you know, it just, it just, uh, it's infectious. If you if you think about oh my favorite you know aunt you know she's or you know I love my grandmother you love you know that special person. Mm -hmm. If you really trace you know it's some sort of affection and warmth between you and her or him, right? Yeah. And if if you think about that, it's because they're interested in you. <laughs> and they you know I don't want to over romanticize it, but it really comes down to. They really cared about your happiness in a way more than their own. You is, know, is that ego in a way that we want? We we like them because they like us. Yes, <laughs> but 
Yeah, but if you but if you you know just analyze a little further, there's no creature on this earth, animal, whatever, insect, human, who doesn't want to f- be loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we all want that, but the 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 problem comes from uh, sort of getting <laughs> thinking. Well, then I'll be happy. I'll just get people to love me. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the trap. It's not that people love you because you want to be loved. People love you probably because you love them back. Or they, yeah. And loving yourself, I would, I would think, is the main how you where you start from. Have to. That's when the infectious nature comes out. You know. Yeah, and people see, oh, this guy's something's going on with this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and neuro neuroscience is supporting that. You know, with the play of mirror neurons and the whole thing. And so it's very interesting to look at neuroscience. It's it's sort of speaking to a lot of the discoveries that Buddhist science made over the last couple of millennium. So um, so in terms of meaning, you know, so so I would say the meaning of life is to be happy. Yes. Agreed. And so is that then, is there a universal happiness or it's just everyone's opinion of happiness? No. Yes, there's a universal happiness. It's just that people don't know it. And we have to study it and research it. And it's just very logical. If, well, you know, it's logical once it's you just you have to know what the causes of happiness are. And we don't know. So if I could, you know, if I could somehow articulate that question to any person around, you know, in a way that they would understand the question is what's the they will people's philosophy is what makes me happy is something that feels good. That's happiness. Well, that could be a drug, though. You know. That's right. Mm-hmm. So exactly. why are people, so? What people look for is the thing that's gonna make them happiest the longest. And for some people, that can be heroin. And then for other people, they get that heroin doesn't make you happy. So they look for maybe relationships, or they maybe look through to career. Always you know, looking outside. Yes, <laughs> and that's the that's the big challenge. It's not outside. So the the cause of happiness, I just say it really simply, is the mind. But the mind, of course, we have a lot of mental disorders, you know. So then it's not just the mind, but then it's the training of the mind, isn't it? And that's it's the, the book. training. <laughs> that's the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, book. that's a good yeah. lead-in right there, because Mark's t- the reason we were so happy to have you on, because Mark turned me on to your book, and he's. If you saw this book, it's the condition that it's in. It's been read so many times. The the pages are falling out of the book. The ins- hey, so Mark, so Mark, are you what you're saying is like I need to write another book? I that's that was one of my questions. Yes, yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or maybe put it on thicker paper or something. Talk to the publisher. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, that's actually the second copy of the book. So really, I, I had another copy also. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, so. I, I thank you very much. I, I, <laughs> that, no, that's honor. I, it, uh, you know, that's such a meaning. Talk about meaning, okay? So, Joe, you asked about meaning. So, look at for me. Um, it, meaning comes back to intention. This is really, really important, and we don't talk about it much in Western. Psychology intention is very very important because I might find that being kind is is the meaning of life you know what makes me happy but I can't guarantee that what I do will have a good effect on you can I I can't guarantee it yeah you know 
So all I can guarantee is like approach things with the right intention, right motivation. Okay. So when I was writing that book, for example, not, I'm not trying to brag. It's just that I thought I got to get this thing out there. So it wasn't because of my relationship with Lama Yeshe and my commitment, you know, to all these teachings. I mean, how can I just sit around and, you know, enjoy them for myself? So the intention was, well, maybe this will be helpful. So it was never, I want to make a lot of money because that could be an intention, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make a career as a writer in Buddhist thought so that I can support myself. That wasn't my intention either. I mean, it'd be nice. So you could have a lot of different intentions for doing what we do. For my intention on that one was I just want this, I need to get this out of my, you know, out of my skin, so to speak. And I really hope it's helpful for people. And that was it. And the funny that thing was... is, I felt the same exact way after I read it. <laughs> so, you know, I have I have friends and things like that who are somewhat like-minded and in the same areas, you know, some family members and things like that. And, um, I mean, I, I shared the book, obviously, with a couple people just because I, you know, got so much out of it. And I figured, why not? You know, I'm sure other people right. can too. And right. I, I didn't necessarily go after it like you need to be doing this, you know, this is the only thing that's important kind of thing. But right. like some people noticed, you know, the way I was acting and just oh. how happy I was and this and that and whatever it may be. And it just kind of always sparked conversations and it just kind of came up naturally. So I would, I would offer it to a couple of people here and there. And I, I mean, my cousin changed her life completely afterwards. <laughs> like mm -hmm. she, she went to live in Hawaii and you know, really? completely like changed everything. And now she's wow. like a completely different person from the way she wow. used to be. And like, she's living a life, you know, of that she loves. Yeah. <laughs> that she loves. Wow. And it's just, wow. it's incredible. Wow. Like, and like I said, I had two different copies. I had one copy that I'd share with my best friend I was living in Florida with, and we would just go through the book at night, you know, when we had nothing to do and we would just like pick out a certain point and just talk about it and just start a conversation. I mean, we'd, you know, usually like have a join here and there and just you know, right. kind of sit right. around and just talk, you know, and um, well, it just turned out to be amazing material. And it just always had great conversations. Well, that, so that and, I mean, that's the most meaningful thing for me. See, that's such a gift. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like that's probably your goal when you're writing this book. Like, yeah, you, yeah, you want yeah. people to get something out of it. Yes. That's you know, at, yeah. So, well, Mark, also what you can do to help me is send me a, send me a, uh, if you feel so inclined, send me a note on what you would like next. What do you think people would want next? Okay. That's a great idea. Um, do that. Where would you like me to send it? Because I don't know where uh, the mail works. <laughs> <laughs> mail it to him. <laughs> He'll get it no, in a few weeks. Just, just do the e – let's try the email thing again. Just I have to make sure you have my right email address. Which one – well, Joe and I were going back. So that's the right one. Yeah, yeah, Joe, yeah you yeah, have that yeah. one. Yeah, you could yeah, – Just email me. If you, you don't have to do it. Just if you – No, trust me. You, I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. So we're talking so much about this book. Can we kind of go into what this book's about? And, um, like, what was your motivation for writing it? Right. Um, you know, really, the motivation, like I said, was I, I got to get this out of my to skin. Share it. Share it. Share the knowledge. And I had, um, you know, I had such the most fortunate experience. Uh, I'm so lucky that it's so, so, I realized how rare it was 
to spend nine years with Lama Yeshe, nine, uh, 12 years in Nepal, and in the early days before Nepal, you know, just became like everywhere else or every other third world country, which it is like that now, not totally, but in some ways it has. And um, so I, you know, I thought that I had all these experiences with Lama Yeshe was kind of like for me, right? He was helping me, quote unquote. And, I, and he was doing that, but it dawned on me at one point that that was kind of being like how sort of narrow-minded I was. Lama Yeshi was a bodhisattva. What we call a bodhisattva is someone who thinks only of the welfare of others. They're, they don't have any sense of, of self-cherishing or self-importance or self-value, not value because they value. They don't have that sense. It's a very, very highly realized state of mind. And that's just to segue, I mean, um, go on a tangent here. What we what we need to know and what the book is also hoping to express, at least on some level, is that the human potential is unlimited. And we don't know that. Now, some people think, oh, it's unlimited, like this 17-year-old guy that won the snowboarding gold medal yesterday or the day before. Yeah, see, his potential, he's really reached this, but, you know, he's unlimited. But that's not what we mean. You know, physically, we're very limited. We don't have. You know, we don't have unlimited potential physically. Mm-hmm. What, pe- what we do have is we have this this mind that is like, I mean, it's a miracle. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's full of, but the potential it has is to be, you know, beyond what we can believe in terms of uh, insight, in terms of wisdom, in terms of compassion, in terms of, you know, all these qualities that are uh, a happiness that is, we don't ever experience, maybe you barely experience it, you know, an orgasm or something. I mean, seriously, it's, it's, you know, it's like the experience that people have when they have those aha experiences. Maybe they're out in, out in nature or surfing or, you mm-hmm. know, with a loved one, you know, and they have that moment of sort of out of body, this mental potential, right? Everyone has that on some level, but it doesn't last. Yeah. But so for yeah. us, when the Buddhist meta, the Buddhist message is that's something you can have forever. That's what nirvana is, by the way. It never ends. Get to a point where it doesn't end. You don't come down. Oh. And in the tradition that I study in, we don't just seek that for ourselves. We seek that for all living beings because every being is in the same boat as us. So it seems kind of selfish to us that, okay, I'll get my nirvana and oh, sorry, yeah, well, you know, work it out on your own. You know, <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't feel right. You know, we're a, we're we are a global community. We're a universal community. Whatever you want to say, we're all connected. You know, everyone's. You know, we're all connected, even with whatever our political enemies. You know, we're still on a human level. We're not that different. Yeah, we. All, so, yeah, sorry. That's okay. So I realized that Lamia she. I, my close relationship with him had nothing much. It had a little bit to do with me. I think it had more to do with with uh, him and him wanting to continue having a, a huge impact on the welfare of others. So I just try to be his spokesman or spokesperson. And it's a big responsibility. So that's my mission is, you know, when he taught, and if you get a chance, uh, he's on. there's a few old videos of him um, that you can catch. 
And you'll see what I mean, that he has a different quality. Um, you can find him, but just you can Google Lama Tutanyeshi. How do you spell that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can Google that too. No. <laughs> uh, Lama, L A M A. Yeah. Tupton is T H U B T E N. So Tupton. Gotcha. And Yeshe, Y E S H E. Gotcha. Definitely going to check him out. You you mentioned uh, a bodhisattva is someone who only thinks about others, right, and never about themselves. Yes. Does that mean that they, you know, killed their ego if they can only care for others? Yes. Would you say? Yes. yes. Really? Is that even possible? Because I feel like I've heard people say that you need a little bit of ego, like it's good in a way. Listen, uh, well, we have to get clear on our terms, right? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's it's kind of funny to me. I, I kind of get how this could sound. So when I say kill the ego or, you know, uh, what it sounds like is we're killing ourselves, doesn't it? Yeah. Like we're going, mm-hmm. we're going into non-existence, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How good? Well, that doesn't sound so good. I'm not so good <laughs> about that, <laughs> right? So that's why it's very important to study these ideas, to study the philosophy and the psychology. So, so on uh, philosophy or psychology 101 is like this. The mind that we're talking about, the un- unlimited mind, the, the unlimited potential of the mind, is something as vast as like the universe, right? But what we're living in is we're living in kind of a, a box, aren't we? We, we don't see we don't see very much. We think we see it all, and basically we don't see anything. <laughs> so so we're not seeing reality. Here's the whole issue. You, you brought about reality in the first time. So that's my favorite topic. So we're having a conversation, and people will be listening on this, and when we're all that we're experiencing at this moment seems, seems like it's real, okay, now, real, I'm going to give you the definition because we're Buddhists are very into definitions. Because <laughs> if we don't have a definition, we, we really can't have a conversation. Yeah. So, reality, a simple way of defining it is that something exists the way it appears. And every, it appears different to everyone. So, everyone has a different reality. Oh, is it? So, how can it be reality? Something exists. So, let me take an example a flower. Okay, if it's if we're seeing it as real, if we see the the flower in its real way, then we will all experience it the same because that's how it exists, right? Mm-hmm. So if you say I see it differently than you, then we're not really seeing the flower, are we? We're seeing our mind's projection of the flower. Boom! It's so <laughs> crazy. I love it. Yeah. So so here we are having a conversation, and it's all just a big joke because. <laughs> You, I don't know what you're hearing. I'm hearing my voice. I'm in my experience. You guys are sitting there supposedly, you know, 5,000 miles away or whatever it is. Is it 3,000 or 5,000? Three. Three. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, 3,000. And we think we're all experiencing the same thing. And in fact, we're all experiencing something different, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's, it's like why you read those quotes and they're like the only real thing that you can be sure that exists is yourself. Even that, uh, I'm going to challenge you on that. How about, 
He loves this, that, by the way. So I'm <laughs> like jumping in. I'm jumping in my seat. Yeah, I love this. So the only true thing that we can experience is ourself. You said right. Yeah. Is that, say that right. Mm-hmm. And so, what is that self? What do you mean by self? You're hitting me with an Alan Watts. <laughs> He does this yeah. to other people, which is hysterical that yeah. it's happening to him now. <laughs> what is what is I? What what do you mean when you say I? What do you mean when you say I'll be even more gentle with you? So it's, we're saying Joe. So Joe says, you know, only thing I can really truly believe or, or is myself. That's the only thing that's real. Myself. What do you mean? You said it. Mm. I'm just asking. You what you mean, what's yourself? My thoughts. Your thoughts. So your thoughts are yourself. You're saying. I am my, I think, <laughs> I think, so we all come from one consciousness and then we're put into bodies for this, whatever, this lifetime or whatever. And okay. we're just endless energy and we'll go to another, maybe a body or I don't know, somewhere else after. So maybe I is my spirit um, in a way or... I guess my thoughts is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> okay. no, it's, I, I, I'll be I'll try to be I'll be much gentler with you than my teachers are with me. How about that? <laughs> I kind of want you not to be. I want you. <laughs> okay. Well, you probably want to experience it gentle anyway. <laughs> okay. So you told me. You just told me. Okay. So I'm going to go with you. You say you you are your thoughts, right? Right. Yes. That's what you said. Okay. So let me ask this on you, Joe. So uh, what are you thinking right now? I'm not thinking. I'm listening. Okay. Uh, so you're not – when you're listening, where is the sound of, of what you're listening to? Mm, the internet? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's in my ears, uh, my headphones. It's, it's in your headphones. And then who's experiencing – so when I say to you, can you think of your, can you think of your mother right now? Can you do that? Yes. Okay, so if you're your thoughts, who is who is doing the thinking of your mother? Hmm. How can you have? How can you have? A, you, how could you're saying you're your thoughts, but you're actually perceiving your thoughts, aren't you? Yeah. Um, oh, hold on, I'm getting a call. I have to shut that. Um, so the object is the thought of your mother, right? Yes. So who's the subject? If that's the object, that's not who you are. Who's listening? Who's the subject? This reminds me of this book. Uh, I'll I'll answer your question, but have you ever read The Untethered Soul? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. It talks about <laughs> that. So the my thoughts and who's thinking of the thoughts are the roommate that's within me. So, so yeah. So you say I'm, but you're aware, right? You're aware of thinking of your mother, right? Yes. Aware of my voice, right? Yes. So those are not thoughts. That's something called me. I. Mm-hmm. Identity, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how can you so the thoughts are are you are, are the object of your perception, right? Yes. Right? Yes. Who's, who's perceiving? Who's the guy? Who's the subject? The observer. Who's that? <laughs> it's gotta be your who's consciousness. That? I mean it's Yeah. Right? Can I ask you that? What's your answer? <laughs> <laughs> So fair. I got to be tough on you, remember? <laughs> That's, so, this, so this is essential. This is not just uh, mental gymnastics. I want to just, you know, uh, reel it back just a little bit. So 
we all we have an so there's a sense of identity right there's a, like i'm not you and i'm not mark right mark doesn't feel he's joe and joe doesn't feel he's mark so there's something about an identity there isn't there yeah i don't know i feel like we are each other aren't we okay uh so so when you eat when you eat uh have a cup of coffee i get the experience well that's just my body doing it Oh, but you feel good. Oh, I love this coffee, right? Your mind feels satisfied. It's sensing the, the uh, whatever, however you drink your coffee. It's getting some buzz going, right? Yeah, my body is. No, your mind is. I'm talking about the mind that feels satisfied. Well, my brain. But like yeah. my, my spirit or the real <laughs> I doesn't have, doesn't need food, doesn't need water, doesn't isn't male, isn't female. It's... Right. It just is. I don't. I can't explain it. I don't. And so, where is that? Yeah, where is it? It's it's everywhere. So it's right now. It's in Australia. Yeah. What's going on, what's going on in Australia right now? Oh, okay. I know what you're saying now. You perceive? Can you perceive Australia right now? No. Okay. So that's, <laughs> that's that limitation. I believe you could, by the way, you know, we could, we have the potential to see what's going on in Australia. The reason we don't is because the limitation, that's the ego part of it. The ego is limited. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what, what the problem is, and I'll use another word. Yeah. So the reason we don't know what's going on in Australia right now uh, is because we don't see reality. Actually, we have, and why we don't see reality is because of ignorance. And that's the only word we can use. We don't know. We're we ignorant to the f- fact of reality? Yes. We see, not only are we ignorant of it, but ignorance also, it's a weird thing. It has a double function. So I don't know how that flower exists. We were talking about a flower before, right? Yeah. Well, the real, the real flower um, if it's, remember I told you my definition of reality is that something exists the way it appears. To you. Right. To a, any, any valid perceiver. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if the flower that I think exists appears differently to you and to Mark and everyone else, that must not be the real flower, huh? Yeah, and we can't be sure what the real flower is. Right? We can we can over time through training the mind and meditation and study, we can know. We can but that's the whole that's the whole goal. So someone who's experienced late nirvana does see reality. And what do so, they see? Uh, <laughs> I want to know what they see. <laughs> uh, well you got to you got to you got to research that one. <laughs> Well, so cool. Lama Yeshi used to say, "You don't worry so much about seeing seeing reality." I'm paraphrasing here. He used to say, "Don't worry so much about seeing reality. First, see how your mind projects your reality. Be the observe it. Observe what we have to know what the we have to know what the 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 mistaken way we see everything we see." We see it mistakenly. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but we don't see it uh, correctly. 
But who's to say what's correct? Like uh, who who's the judger of that's wrong and that's right? Yeah, I was gonna say. So who does with, see it correctly? Uh wisdom. We have in our minds a lot of qualities, but they're not functioning very well. Mostly what we have functioning is I like this, I that pisses me off, I'm worried, I'm anxious, right? I don't like this, I don't like that. Those are the two that are operating all the time. And they operate because I don't know reality. So for example, okay, so who decides it? But we also have this wisdom within us, this Buddha nature, we sometimes refer to it. It's there, but it's not functioning, not very well. So it's blocked by all this other crap that's going on. Like, you know, I need to get that $1,000 iPhone, right? Or I need to get to dinner tonight, or I need to get a cup of tea, or I need to stretch my legs so they're getting cramped. I mean, it's constant, constant constant each instant we're trying to experience some pleasantness and avoiding discomfort every instant mm -hmm. why do you sleep at night because of the discomfort of tiredness okay why do we have a beer because there's some discomfort of you know tension every oh, that's and that's what we call life it's pretty it's pathetic <laughs> so human life yeah Human life. Now, one, one level of reality, this is not the deepest level, but let's take, for example, let's take, for example, everything that we were just talking about, you know, a cup of tea, sleep, our, you know, our friend, our partner, our lover, our, our car, you know, the news, the show we're going to watch tonight, television. I have a question for you guys. Are those things out there are they are they transitory or are they fixed? Constantly changing. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear Joe yet though. Are they transitory? Can you explain? Are they that? moving? Are they moving? Which we the word we call is impermanent. Mm -hmm. Are they impermanent or are they static? Which the word in Tibetan uh, in Buddhism is permanent. Permanent does not mean eternal, by the way. Okay? It, it, permanent means not changing moment to moment. So is the, are the TV shows that we watch permanent is the question? Yeah are, they, yeah, are they permanent or impermanent? I would say nothing's permanent. Right. There, there is a few things, but for the moment, we'll say nothing is permanent. Right? So they're impermanent, correct? Yeah. Okay. Do you see that? Is that how you live your life? Is that how you perceive things? I'm trying to, but no, not fully. Either do I. I mean, do you see the movement of the atoms in front of you right now? No. Ah. No. You don't see things as they exist, do you? <laughs> so you're saying some people do? Yes. And I don't see them either, by the way. I'm not trying to say I do. I, I just worked with this more. So I'd, one way that things exist is they're changing moment to moment, right? Science tells us that anyway, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not the deepest level of reality, but I just want to – it's a good, it's a good intro, in, uh, uh, entrance. So just the fact that things exist in, this, in the nature of change and are changing uh, absolutely a zillion miles an hour, aren't they? Yeah, non nonstop. Now I'll tell you, I'll add a little 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 provocation here. 
your mind is also changing moment to moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so nothing steady is it? nothing static is it? Not is it? no thing. No thing. Nothing. Not in minds either. So, like a rock on the ground is not static. Is it? Well, just you just tell me. Is it? It looks like it is, but is it? I feel like I'm supposed to say no, but it it seems it, it you, seems static. But explain it's, yours. Yeah, it's just like okay. there's always something that can happen. So like, think about over time that rock is gonna eventually move. It could fall down and crack into a bunch of different rocks. You know, like right. It can right. always be melted by the volcano that the lava flows down. So like, right. it might be the same thing for a certain amount of time, but it can change. Um, you know. So for for point. that rock for that rock to disintegrate. Yeah, that's basically what's going to happen, right? Over a certain length of time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even this Earth is going to disintegrate over a certain length of time, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so the science of that is for it to disintegrate over time means it's disintegrating right now as well. We just don't see it, but that's the nature. You know, going into physics, aren't there atoms? Isn't the rock made up of atoms? Yeah. Everything and is. Aren't they, isn't everything okay. made of atoms? No, the mind isn't made up of atoms, but all the physical world is. Yes. So, right. is there any aren't atoms in a state of movement? Yeah, nonstop, mm -hmm. right? Nonstop. So you don't. So that rock is in a state of movement, right? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Wow. So you man, you just blew my mind. <laughs> You and I don't see that rock moving, but yet it's so we don't see reality because we can agree that that rock is in the state of movement, correct? Yes. So we don't see that. So what do we see instead? We see permanence. That's because of ignorance in our mind, not our intellect, because intellectually we, we kind of get it right now, right? But in our minds, we're ignorance gets us to perceive it as unchanging. And you know what else? You know, when you're – when uh, you lose – I don't know. What's depressing? When you lose your job, mm -hmm. so you have all this mental experience, don't you? Like you feel bad about yourself or you feel angry or – all of that seems fixed also. But guess what? All those thoughts are moving a million miles an hour. But ignorance gets you to fixate and, and think that they're permanent. This is my if situation. You, I'm stuck. Right. Yeah. And their actual perception of the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings are just like that rock. When in fact, they don't exist that way at all. Never have. If you saw if you saw things that way, how would your life be different? It'd be horrible. I think that's the exact reason. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean like if, if I didn't see it as permanent? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. I actually saw it as, as it really is. And part of what it really is is impermanent. That I, I want to reiterate. That's not the deepest level of reality for that rock, for that for that emotion. But it's a good beginning. It, it gets even deeper. But don't worry about that right now. Okay. <laughs> it's like Alan Watts says the same stuff. Uh, he says, "Um, that's why you have to just be a cloud or be a wave. You know, yeah. th there's no misshapen cloud. There's, there's no misshapen. There's no wave that ever looked odd. You know. Mm -hmm. Right." So if, if your partner, your lover, whatever, cheats on you and leaves you, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So 
if you saw that experience like it was a moving cloud, which is more closer to what it is, how would you respond differently? I I, I would feel that's fine. Uh, this is it's it's this is how it is, and just accept right. it. Be here now. Well, because how do you glom on to smoke, right? Can't. Can't. Or vapor. You can't. It's like vapor. But we don't see it as vapor. We see it as, as like concrete. Yeah. yeah. Even though the concrete's moving. <laughs> and for, for, for a very realized meditator, he or she sees the concrete as uh, ethereal as smoke. Because it is. Yeah. And you can ask your physics friends a wall that looks so solid, you know how much of it is actually solid? Um well isn't an atom ninety percent empty space? That's what I have heard. So, so it's it, really not it's way more not there than it is there. That's right. So why can't you walk through a wall? Maybe I could. If I was enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> you can. Yeah? That's right. Yes. So one thing to qualify, you don't even need to be enlightened. So uh, just to clarify for like the audience. So this is what's beautiful about this path is that uh, we develop – the path is to develop insight into reality as well as that will make us more compassionate. And, and so we want to be compassionate to others and doing it for others' benefit. Uh, and then um, – so to do that, when we – you can – you and I can have insight. We will develop the insight into reality and it's a process. It's not – you know all those stories you hear about enlightened you know, instantaneously or slapped with a, some sort of sandal and he attained enlightenment? That those are just romantic notions. That's not how it works. Um, of course, like let me ask you: when you turn on the light, is that instant or is it a process? It's it feels instant, but it is a process. Thank you. That's exactly the point. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, okay. even if you look at the process, it that light has been turned on for hundreds of years. I mean, ever since Edison maybe started fooling around with lectures. You know, everything. It's a process. So the same thing when developing this insight into reality. The reality of our own nature, our own nature, our true nature, our potential. Uh, this takes time. It's a process. You start and you keep at it and you get better and better and you get happier and happier and you get this insight and you cultivate it. But when you get the insight into reality, that's not enlightenment. You then use that insight to continue uh, subduing all those negative emotions and disturbing emotions uh, uh, the anger, the hatred, the greed, the lust, the, you know, and, and you, you slowly over time will eradicate your mind of those uh, negative afflictions, disturbing emotions. That's then you're enlightened at the end of that. I think what we were just talking about, I think that's probably the major reason why I went back to read the book so many times, just because uh, it tends to. Not that you forget about it, but you almost don't keep it at the forefront for so often because it, other things happen, you know, and you want to try and keep it there. And that's exactly why I went back to it so many different times. And there was right. a period of a period of my life where I was 
probably maybe the first time reading the book actually and I was taking a bus to work every day and I would I had maybe like a 10-15 minute bus ride to work and I would read about two pages every morning and that's all I kind of needed to put me that's in right. the right mindset for the rest of the day so right. it I, I I didn't necessarily need to take in more than that you know it was enough to just put me in the right mindset so like it almost got toward the end of the book and I was like, oh my God, I want to read like one sentence each now, you know, like you I, wanna, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to finish it because like I had such a good thing going and I almost got attached to that, you know, in in the yeah. midst of me wanting to get the message the right way. I almost took it the wrong way by relying on the book, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's, again, that's the beauty of uh, what we say, you know, with, um, when we talk about the Buddhist path, we don't mean the religion. We just mean the path of awakening. Okay, so we all we don't. It doesn't matter what we call it. We can call it Christianity. We can call it. It doesn't matter, as long as that whatever we're doing is is uh, developing this process of awakening the mind. And so the beauty of this is that you you don't. I read the same books I read forty years ago, Mark. Honestly, I go back to the same material because there's it's it's unlimited. So I'm changing over the years, and then when I read that same thing I read 40 years ago, now I'm a different you know I'm a different person. So it's a good point. It has a different effect. You, you point. follow me? Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Because I've definitely felt different from reading it in certain points because it's whatever's going on in your life at exactly, the time that you're yeah, reading it. Of course. It. So I mean, it's been probably a span of maybe I don't know, probably about six years now. Yeah, give or take that I've been reading it. So I mean, it's definitely been different every time. Yeah, and that's that's again that's a compliment to me because I I, I sort of nailed it because the idea is that a book, I mean, this kind of uh, uh, content, you know, or this this theme should have that quality. You know, we should. That's that's a great uh, achievement to be able to write something that continues to give i guess you'd say yeah. you know and, and, to, and to learn so i feel very honored that that people have had that experience I and mean, it's it's i don't feel i don't feel arrogant about it i'm just kind of amazed you know mm -hmm. and and the other thing is i didn't make up this material it's not my material i mean i translated You're it you're sharing it i'm just sharing it and i'm putting it in in words that are relevant to my my culture and my you know, but I didn't. I didn't make the ideas up. Those, those were, those were from Buddha and all the other great masters. It's not, not me. And so, they, and they must have got it from somewhere, though. They did. They got it through, well originally through Buddha, right? He who who discovered it on his own in a sense, and he passed it on, and they became Buddhas of their own. Yeah, there were like three or four Buddhas, right? Originally. Uh. Well. Um. Historically, historically, um, the, the historical Buddha lived 2,500 years ago, right, or 2,600 years ago. So this set of teachings that we're talking about started with him. But the the you know if you look at the cosmology, they have a whole cosmology, right, over many many eons, eons. There he was the fourth Buddha of this world system. But that we're talking billions of years. So it's not that relevant. But yes, he was the fourth. And actually, according to that cosmology, there's going to be a thousand Buddhas. The But that's 
teaching like he taught, you know, like our historical figures. Mm -hmm. But since this Buddha was born and taught and died, there have been many countless, I don't know, countless, but thousands and thousands of practitioners who attained Buddhahood, which is enlightenment, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, so, yeah, so you can, that's, that's the sort of, uh, that's the validation for us is that, I mean, I feel I've met, you know, my, a few, you know, in my own teachers, like they did it. They, they achieved what Buddha set out to teach people to do. And there's historically in the Tibetan, almost certainly, you know, in the traditions, there's been many hundreds of, of meditators, practitioners, whatever you want to say, who, who've been lay people and monks and nuns who have attained, if not enlightenment, then they attained these very high levels due to their realization of reality. You're a Buddha if you reach enlightenment? Yeah, that's they're synonymous. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I don't I have a problem with that thousand number. Like so there can't be a <laughs> there can't be a thousand and one Buddhas, you know? Well, there's actually countless Buddhas. Yeah. Okay. But it's only in, in this world system of ours, planet Earth kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have such Earth a problem has... with numbers and time and like yeah, stuff I like that. Yeah, I know, me too. They don't make they don't often make a lot of sense in the, in the Buddhist cosmology. It's like if you really get your slide ruler out, you know, I don't know if you ever remember slide rulers. I never how to use one, but if you get your calculator out, then the numbers <laughs> just don't make sense. So don't don't worry about that stuff too much. You know, that's that's not, the point is that there are many Buddhas, there's countless Buddhas and there's many world systems, there's countless universes. You know, it's not just us. We're not alone. Yeah, so you yeah. think you believe in multiverse? There's many, li there's limitless universes, not like twelve. Like we had Lawrence Krauss on, and he said there's twelve universes. Yeah, I don't know how he would. How do you say twelve? If there's twelve, why not twenty? Yeah, um, it was a while no, we, ago. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't want to criticize him. I don't, I don't know his his thing, but no, we we say there's countless universes. It's mm -hmm. it's uh. Yeah, and Buddhism is yeah, a Buddhism is not a religion; it's a way of life, right? It's yeah, but you base your way of life on a philosophy, right? It has a you got to you have a, everyone has a philosophy. Everyone, you check people's philosophy on life, and, and everyone has one. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, philosophy. Uh, yeah, it's a philosophy, and then you it, it is a way of life, and then how do you base your way of life is on a philosophy, right? How do you run your way of life, right? And a philosophy is a religion? No. Oh. Yeah, good, good question. Okay. Okay, no, not at all. Uh, I don't know what a re religions are institutions created for people who needed more security and structure. There's many religious people who, I like the word spirituality, spiritual. Yeah, me too. So a spiritual practitioner is not the same as a religious practitioner. Okay. You can you can be a religious practitioner and you know not have any spirituality. You can be a spiritual practitioner and not have any religion. That, like that's that. how I see it. I like that a lot more. Yeah, my definition would be that a spiritual person is someone who is attempting to develop his or her inner potential. Inner. That's a spiritual person. So if someone's doing yoga because they want to be more fit and more that to me is not a spiritual path then. That's not, that's just based on physical, right? Yeah. So I'm talking about inner potential and the inner potential, if you're working on development, it doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't matter whether it's Buddhism or, or psychology or physics or, you know, the only thing I would say that's unique to Buddhist thought is not unique, but, you know, a sort of a qualifier is this unlimited part. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you can attain your unlimited potential through modern psychology. No, I don't know. I know you can't. I don't think you can. Modern right. psychology can't do it yet. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. there may be other systems that, that you can do it. I have a quick question for you. Sure. So, I'm sure it'll be real quick. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, so basically, your book, obviously, that was one of the first things that started me, I guess, on my path toward, you know, Buddhism right. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so obviously, I branched out to a number of other books. One Good. of the books I read was um, The Joy of Living. Um, oh, yeah. The Joy mm -hmm. of Living goes a little bit more into, I guess, the the science behind it. Now, uh -huh. you were talking a little bit about the science before, but like because of the scientific aspects and studies on Buddhist nature, do you think it will become more mainstream when like the results are a little bit more tangible? Uh, absolutely. A great question. Um, my admiration for the Dalai Lama is, is that uh, is, is very high. And one of the one of the things that I admire about him, he's always has uh, insisted on a dialogue between Buddhist thought and science ever since he was really young. And so there's been a number of books, in fact, that have grown out of these different uh, dialogues he's been having over the years. And uh, so, in fact, can you believe this? Listen to this. He said some years ago, he said, um, if science proves that something is incorrect in Buddhism, we will throw it out. You know, you don't hear any. I mean, that's the courage, yeah, and, and the commitment too. And and there have been a few things that we've been told not to teach anymore because science has, you know, demonstrated that it's not correct. Now, I will qualify that by saying anything that's been disproven by science in Buddhist thought uh, has was never anything taught by the Buddha himself. They were teachings, uh, commentaries to what the Buddha taught. For example, I think one of them, the, the, for ages, you know, was taught that the earth was flat, right? Yeah. In, Buddh in Buddhist cosmology. Well, you know, Buddha didn't teach the world was flat. That was an elaboration from, from various uh, uh, followers of his later over the, over the centuries. Um, so uh, I think that um, because the, we started off talking about how Buddhist thought is universal and it morphs into the cultural beliefs and and rituals of a culture i think in our modern culture if you think about it uh our foundation is really science it's it's become science and so um i say that's the central philosophy of the modern world and science and buddhism is 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 uh in a dialogue with science and there's not much of it fits and I would say there's a couple of good there's a lot of good books out now between neuroscience and, and neuroscience and, and Buddhist thought. Um, but I will say there's there's one uh, there's one huge obstacle with it. Science is designed to measure things, right? Mm -hmm. It has to be measurable. That that's how they that's how they test their hypotheses, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's all good. Now, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> so you can only measure, we say you can measure form, like 
molecules and atoms, right? Mm -hmm. So in the Buddhist uh, science or psychology, for anything that we perceive with our five senses, so our nose, sense, hearing, sight, taste, tactile, what am I forgetting? Smell. Smell. <clears throat> Smell, hearing, sight, tactile, and taste. So anything you perceive with those, including like sound, like the music that we hear, those are all considered form, any objects, because they're made up of molecules and atoms. So it's measurable. That's why they say sound is, is in waves, for example. That's a measurement, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. The one problem is the mind, which is we sometimes refer to consciousness as the sixth sense, because it, it is also a sense, but it's non-material. It's not molecular. It's formless. It's like um, like a vibe, like energy you get from a person when you, like when they enter a room. Well, the mind, if you're picking up on the energy, that's some form. So that's okay. you're, you're experiencing it with your mind, of course. All experience is is run through the mind. But this is more like when you dream at night. That dream experience is formless. It's not made up of molecules. Mm, it's just atoms. It's mind stuff. Oh, dreams are a really interesting topic. <laughs> so, so the problem with science is it has to be uh, objective measurement. You can't measure. You could. You let me put this. You can only measure what is measurable, and the only thing measurable are things that are made up of form, like uh, molecules and atoms and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you can't measure the mind. It's not made up of that. It's not. For, it's formless. It's infinite. Do you think there's ever a possibility of there being a measurement for it? There is a measurement. There is a way to um, validate it. It's just that science has to get on board with it. And that is through the contemplative approach, right? The way you can you, you definitely... If, it, if the mind exists, it's knowable, and we spend our, 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 our practice understanding and knowing the mind, okay? And so it's knowable, so it's a thing. It's real. You know, it's a thing. It exists. Anything that exists is knowable. It's just not measurable in the scientific sense, the way they measure now. But it's knowable, and you can report back, you know, my mind is this, and my mind is that, I, because I experienced it in meditation through con contemplation, right? Yeah. Okay, so they have to develop a, a protocol that will validate subjective reporting. And that's what science doesn't like. It's always considered objective. So that's its, that's its hurdle that it has to get over. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's hard to so interpret. That takes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the mind. Uh, well, you mentioned dreams. Maybe we should go there. How, what do you I guess I don't know I've read a few dream books and they say like a dream could mean something or it could just mean nothing right so is there ever a way to know like oh that means I'm feeling a certain way or there's just never a way to know because it could just mean nothing yeah I don't I'm, I don't know much about dream I mean mm. not because I don't want to I'm not interested it's kind of a big topic but my experience with uh, it's mental, you know, it's just, it, it is mental 
activity. It's something mental and uh, not physical. And it's also something that um, is totally subjective. There's no objective, you know, no way anyone else can, can see your dreams really. But also they have many different qualities. There could be prophetic dreams. Most dreams are considered nothing more than, you know, like in the Western description of dreams, they're nothing more than the replay of, of your day's events or, you know, things like that. Um, but that you know, most Tibetan lamas and practice teachers don't pay a lot of attention to when we talk about dreams, they kind of steer us away from it because I think we get too hung up on it. But there are certain dreams that are important. There are, there it can be, you know, it can be. But you can't. But for the most part, it's for the most part, they're just not worth talking about. And you opinion. can't know which ones are. You can't point it out. Right. So right. it's not even worth thinking about, in my opinion. That's right. I'll tell you a quick example. Is uh, I was in retreat in Nepal, and my t- one of my teachers said that. Uh, Usually when you do retreat, you're doing either a certain length of time or you're counting uh, some mantras that you might be doing. And then the, but he said to me, he said, I don't want, don't keep count. And it's not time, it just says, but when you get a sign, come and tell me. And then, then that'll be the end of your retreat. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh shit, how long going to be in here, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, I knew about how long this retreat usually took about a week or 10 days. It wasn't a very long one. And, and uh, uh, so they, um, so I, I, you I knew. You pouring some tea? I am. How'd you know? Because I'm, because <laughs> I'm you. I'm there. <laughs> See? See, I maybe had it all wrong. No, I heard you. I heard you like uh, start the stove, and I heard you pour the water. Yeah, my wife took the big kettle down to her work. Anyway, <laughs> I couldn't get away with it. Uh, so, so, um. So I ha- so I knew that traditionally speaking, I had completed the retreat by time. You know, I'd gone over the time that normally it took, and I just kept going. I had the most amazing dream. I'm not gonna tell you the dream. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. But the most amazing dream. I thought, wow, I got the sign, right? Mm-hmm. So I went up and told this llama, and I'm telling him the whole thing, and he didn't even hardly look at me, and he and basically said, I mean, that's not it. Go back. So I went back and the retreat. And then I don't know, eventually I finished the retreat because I had a, a commitment. But I know. So I so there you thought it was a great sign, right? <laughs> so we can't trust our our minds are not very Well, that's where it goes. That's why I like to that's why I said before we are our thoughts, because if you think it's a sign, then isn't it a sign? No. No. If I if I think you're a woman, are you a woman? Well, I'm saying like the dream, the how you interpret the dream. Isn't that your interpretation, and it it'll be whatever you think it is? That's okay, but it's uh, it's as long as you say it's just interpretation, it's not reality, mm. right? I think what we're saying is that you know what's what's true, what's true, right? Uh, yeah. But if it's interpretation, is it how interpretation is not the same as truth? Is it? Is inter- interpretation can be correct? Right? Yeah, interpretation but it's, but it's not truth. So I don't know how we would know whether our interpretation was true or not. I don't really know how we would do that. You can't measure that one. No. <laughs> so what if I want to interpret it as a certain way that just based upon my attachment or something, right? Yeah. 
it's, there's no, it's really hard to know my interpretation is unbiased or not. It's always probably going to be biased. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree. So it's hard. Huh. It really is. It's all right. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna try and change gears to some other questions that I have. If you you still have okay. time, right? I have a few minutes. I I should I should probably start winding up. So okay. hit me with your best hit me with your best shot. Hmm. All right. I have a few. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, your stance on psychedelics. So there's two different ways. So Alan Watts would say once you. His uh, what he said was, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Like yeah. you, you don't have to take them over and over again. And it, it's uh, once you feel like you got the message, stop doing them. I agree. But then there's Terrence McKenna, uh-huh. who said you'll never stop learning, so continue to take them endlessly. Right. So where do you stand? I guess you just answered that though. Well. You know, you can't say one thing is for everybody, of course, right? I mean, that, that just doesn't, you know, that's not, that's not, we can't say one, one size fits all. I'd say that generally, like Lama Yeshe, you know, my teacher said, uh, he thought that for some people, psychedelics were good so that they could see there was another dimension to the mind. But, but they're not a, but they are not a method. They don't, they won't help you develop that, uh, insight into the mind other than just having the aha experience of it you know it, it doesn't it's not a valid path it's not a vessel it's not a yeah it does it's not a vehicle yeah. it's not a vessel because it just it's because the mind the the mind depends on more than just insight like that and learning it actually has to you have to cultivate something yeah. so i think for people who are maybe skeptical or sort of concrete you know, it's really important to have uh, some insight into that there's more to reality than what we think. It's just hitting our, our eyes. And, of course, you know, for some people, psychedelics are too powerful. You know, it's not – it can also damage them, can't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that true or is it they don't want to face what they're learning and it's and it, they count it as a bad trip and I can't deal with it? Well, it's certainly helpful if they can reframe it, re-narrate, you know, change the story about it. But – I think people have different um, capacities, you know, and different mm-hmm. personalities. So, yeah, I don't – I think they can't – you know, some people just don't have the equipment to handle that kind of uh, intensity, yeah. you know. I'm I'm obviously – I guess you could tell I'm pro-psychedelic. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for you. Well, for you, right? <clears throat> yeah, for me, for me. I've taken them alone on a Sunday in my room and I felt like I – learned more then than in a day than I ever did my whole life. Yeah, I think that because it opens up our doors of perception, we're more open and more sensitive and we can see. But I will say that um, what is super important, and I know you know this, is that is the motivation again. So before you take a trip, it's like, okay, this is what I want to research. This is what I want to understand. This is what I want to know. This is my motivation is to understand my mind better. And also to increase my level of warmth and compassion to others, and then you take it, okay? But with but because there's always a motivation to everything we do. So if you don't motivate properly, uh, then you could have it could not be a very useful experience. It could be harmful. Who knows? You, you follow me? Yeah, the motivation yeah. is important for sure. Yes, it is. So you gotta. It's a ritual. So you gotta ritualize it. Yeah. No, I went into it with the intention I want to learn. And yeah. Then you will. Yeah. 
And I guess I did because those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, keep, keep, keep going. You know, there's, there's, you know, we, there's no end, but you know, actually if you take a, you know, if you do another trip then just maybe think about some of the things we talked about and do a reason, you know, just do a curious, have a, a, you know, just be curious, just really curious. Like how does this all work? Are my, am I my thoughts or am I separate? Those kinds of things. You want to have the direct experience yourself. It doesn't tell do much good for me to blah blah. You know what I think. You have to. You have to experience it yourself. Yeah. Right. Well, your opinion yeah. just. I'm interested in it. And the dialogue definitely helps. You know, it's not yeah. very often where you just sit down and really, you know, dive into it. No, that's right. So I'm. So I'm happy that that uh, we could have that dialogue so that you have some material to just research to go yeah. into it. Right. Yeah, definitely. Now you told me to. You know get to you with an idea I thought, you know, might be good for another book or what people might want to hear. Are you currently working on something else or? About um, I'm about to, yeah. About to. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. I need to, I need, the only thing stopping me is, um, what's the only thing stopping me? Yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my laziness. <laughs> no, you have a lot going on. So, uh, yeah, just, it's, it's a, like you guys were saying, you know, it's kind of a, timing thing just like it's you know having knowing the right moment to to but it's i can feel it's close awesome. i feel like that within the, i mean this year somehow to start awesome awesome um we like to well, what's going on here hello 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 can you hear me yeah i can hear you oh okay uh we like to end off do you hear that yeah, yeah. what static. is that i have some static hold on yeah i don't hear it on my end yeah, I don't know. It sounded like hello, hello. Yeah, it's, I'm it's just... I'm here. I'm not hearing it on my end. So all right, fine. That's good then. We like to end the episode where if you had a um like a message you could tell the world, I guess some sum it up what you would want them to hear. I guess it's you did it in your book, but if for no one, someone who hasn't read your book, um, that's a good question. I'm not sure I can answer it, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, well, I'm so concerned about the world, like many people are, and, uh, you know, the polarizations is happening. There's so many ways of looking at the world in a problematic way, you know, and it's, it's worrisome. On the other hand, I don't think, I think the scale is bigger now, but, you know, this is the human mind, and ever since people were on this planet, you know, they've been having wars and fighting and yeah. insecurities and starvation and corrupt politicians. And, you know, it's just the scale is bigger now and it's, it's more and more, the speed is quick. But I think that we have to really, um, my message would be to find that level, you know, just really develop our sense of warmth and affection and compassion so that we, we can stand up to the polarization and not be seduced by it. And it's all just relative. It's all just story. It's all just people's narratives. It's not real. It's just relative. So the, the right and wrong, I would say, uh, you know, not the political views as much as the right and wrong is what causes less pain and harm to others. Then we should adhere to that and, uh, you know, reduce the level of confusion. It all comes from ignorance. All these problems come from not knowing how things really are. 
So it sounds weird, but that's where compassion comes from is when we understand how things are, uh, we have much more compassion, much more, because yeah. we see that what we're seeing in this limited way is not really how it is. So mm. it, all comes, it, it all leads down to empathy, right? Having empathy. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And then how you develop empathy is what's so fascinating. Why you develop, why we would develop empathy is because the human condition is suffering. It's problematic. It's painful. And you're in this and we're all in the same boat together. Yeah, that's one of the noble truths. The first it one. Is. Yep. Killed we have it. to be we have to become familiar with that. And it's for real. Awesome. It's real. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I have 10 more questions, so we need to do another one of these. <laughs> if I can help, let me know and we can do another one. And um, I very much enjoy it because I just got to blah, 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 do all the talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that's this is the reason. This is my happiness. You know, like that's why I feel like time isn't real because that was two hours. And, I understand. Yeah. you know, and it's like when you're doing something you love to do is time. Time doesn't even exist. No. That's right. So that's why it's we made say up. that we say that time is merely a convention. It's merely a concept. Yeah. It doesn't exist really again. There you go. See? Yeah. <laughs> back to me when you study a little more on that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll come back to you. We'll uh we'll stay in touch and we'll send Thank you some you. thoughts on what we feel like should be in another book. <laughs> right. Thank you okay, again. Is, uh, there's is there a link that people I can put on my uh website to link to the talk or anything like that or a download that, that i can of put on my site of course site. of course yes thank you after i have it all posted i'll send you the links no worries thanks a lot you guys thank you it thank awesome, you so man. much thank that you. was that was one of the, okay. my favorite conversations i've ever had so yeah thank for you sure. thank you thank you very much take care have a good have night bye-bye uh what do you think <sighs> I mean, that couldn't have been better, honestly. <laughs> right? I mean, that. there's just so many times we looked at each other like, oh, like that was fucking <laughs> yeah, like, perfect. Uh, like, he was blowing my mind when he was asking me questions. I know. And like, that's, I, it's so did you see funny. my head explode? Yeah, dude, it's so <laughs> funny because you do that shit to other people so often <laughs> that like, it was so funny to see it like, you know, being done to you just because like he's fucking probably done it to so many people so he's probably heard so many different reactions from so many different people and like oh man yeah it just it just gives like we talked about so much and like now we have we so much more to think about you know we could have gone for freaking i could have went for six hours not even kidding like easily like no i doubt. i i've i was writing stuff down as we went because mm -hmm. i wanted to go back and we just there's no way to have enough time to talk to exactly him. and especially because like you, you you have a question pop up that you want to ask like in the middle of something but then by the time you know we're done talking about that topic like to go back to it is almost like you can't do it because like it's yeah. gonna ruin the it's progress too, of where you're it's, it's too far it's yeah. too far back you know that's exactly what i was doing like <laughs> like uh I, I just i wanted to get into like his diet vegetarian but that's like, like the best thing yeah. though because it's a, it's a real conversation it's not like an interview you're not like sitting there asking questions you know like mm -hmm. You're actually having a conversation that flows from one thing to the next, you know, yeah. like it's, yeah, we would love to ask those questions. But in the end of the day, like if we were sitting there asking question after question, then it's just a question and answer kind of thing. And then you run out of material. Exactly. That's how like, we can't run out. With this <laughs> yeah, guy. Honestly, like, 
That oh, was literally man. Thank you so much, Karuna. Oh, Is it man. Karuna? Karuna, yeah. Yeah. That, that was and we didn't even awesome. get his real name or his old real name. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. I think <laughs> I did look it up at one point, but. His birth given name. That's. Uh, so, so you're satisfied? Oh man, I was awesome. <laughs> Me too. I man. could be more satisfied. Oh, uh, there's. I don't even. My head's thinking now. Like, what part am I gonna clip to make the promo? Like, <laughs> there's nothing. It's endless material in there. Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right. It was all right up our alley too. I mean, that couldn't have been. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming enough. back. I I love having you here. It's like I. It's like selfish in a way because I because <laughs> I'm comforted having you here. I I like that. So any literally, dude, anytime you want to be here, for real. Like I've told you this before. Of course, dude. I mean, but um, hell yeah. I mean, I'd rather be doing this than pretty much anything else. <laughs> <but> I, yeah, <laughs> I I honestly would take the invite more times than not. The door's open. Just walk yeah. in. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope your mind was blown. Mine's definitely blown. And uh. I wanted, I, I didn't even ask him about like atoms and like, because we talked, we touched on the em, 90% of an atom's empty space. So we're not really here. Our bodies aren't. That's like, I mean, we're going to get to a whole <laughs> other thing right now, but in the, uh, what's called the movie documentary thing, I've shown you a couple clips from where it's like nothing ever really touches anything yeah yeah like that's like the aspect of it almost. that's the like, part of it yeah yeah because they're always just constantly moving it's crazy uh that so the, this what the bleep do we know is freaking that's some real stuff in there that's where it has like the water experiment yeah with uh the Dr. asian Morimoto asian yeah and, yeah that's his name yeah. all right oh uh, another sign off goodbye guys <laughs> thank you for listening Wow, they're going to keep coming at you, so stay tuned. Have a good night or whatever time you're listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. I hope the show made your day a little better. If you enjoyed it, I ask if you could take a couple minutes and please subscribe, leave a review, and a rating. It helps so much more than you know. If you want to contact us, go to weeklysitdown.com and connect. And remember, guys, follow your fucking dreams.